monsters are tragic beings. They are born too tall, too strong, too heavy. They are not evil by choice. That is their tragedy. Ishiro Honda. Hi, and welcome back to Fandom 101. I'd like to take this time to apologize to my, let's say, listenership, because I don't exactly have a viewership, otherwise you'd see me. This is more listeners. I'd like to take a time to apologize to my audience that with my work schedule and with the holidays fast approaching, I didn't get enough time to work on the episode when I wanted to do it. So now that I'm working on it again, that I'm able to, I wanted to make sure that the research was done right and that it's a good and entertaining and informative episode for you. So let me take this time and say I'm sorry it took so long, but we're finally here, so let's begin. Now, this episode is featuring on Kaiju. Now, most of us know that this means that these are the giant monster movies, or monster or yeah basically giant monster movies there is a difference we could be talking about monster movies or we could be talking about giant monster movies there there is a difference we're not going to be talking about dracula we're not going to be talking about wolfman we're talking straight up you know godzilla kong rodan mothra those type of creatures and so let's go into what a kaiju is. Now, kaiju is the Japanese term for a strange beast. It is synonymous with giant monsters, but it's not limited to. So technically, we could be talking about a normal monster. No way. As long as it's a strange beast. I mean, I remember Toho made a film about mushroom people. So technically, in this sense, people can be considered kaiju, so long as they are... Let's say monsters at this point. But then again, you can't really judge people by their looks. But in this case, let's say it was a different beast that's sort of humanoid. Anyway, so these kaiju films usually depict these massive creatures attacking major cities, fighting military forces, or even fighting one or more of themselves. And I don't mean like a clone, though that has happened uh, in a few, I'm sure. I'm referring to, you know, another kaiju or possibly two in an epic battle. And a lot of time, and people say, what about giant robots? Giant robots technically count as military forces or technically aliens sometimes too. So technically I would say giant robots would fit into military forces in most cases. And... On this note, I'd like to take a time and talk about Ishiro Honda's work. He directed so many monster movies, at least eight of the original Godzilla Showa era films, which we'll get into later. But he had a quote while he was working on Rodan, and I think it's quite fitting for this episode. Monsters are tragic beings. They are born too tall, too strong, too heavy. They are not evil by choice. That is their tragedy. They do not attack people because they want to, but because of their size and strength, 
mankind has no other choice but to defend himself. After several stories such as this, people end up having a kind of affection for the monsters. They end up caring about them. This was Ishiro Honda speaking of his film Rodan, which uh, debuted in 1956. Great film. If you haven't seen it, I definitely recommend watching it. But Honda directed eight Godzilla movies, including the original 1954, which started all of it, and many other Toho Kaiju films, which really are worth noting, one of which was The War of the Gargantulas. And trust me, I'll be talking about War of the Gargantulas later, so we'll work on that. If you, have, if you haven't seen any of these films, you're in for a treat. Honestly, we're, we're going to be talking about a few films. We're going to be talking about the monsters themselves. And as we're talking about the filmography and how the films progress here, I feel we need to mention that there is an underlying theme. Some people skip it over just because they think it's a cheesy movie or it's just, you know, or because it's ancient, you know, that it doesn't have anything important to say. No, it has a lot to say. And because people think that, the message has gone unheard, and therefore, you make it useless by thinking it's useless. And if you pay attention to the origin films of these creatures, you'll see this message, this theme, very clearly. And we're going to dive into that. I'm going to hit pause and see if you... Because we're going to talk about a little bit of the films, or at least the majority that fit this... And we're going to see if you can tell the theme by the end of this show. So, <clears throat> let's take a look at some of these historic kaiju movies. Let's begin our journey in 1933. Alright, it is 1933. So, as we know, this is a big development in America. World War II is, let's see, 1933, the war ended about 10 years, or close to 10 years, 12, maybe after. So yeah, really it's right in between World War II are in World War One, somewhere in between these times that people decided to come up with an idea for movies, moving pictures became the norm, and thus we got the movie industry. And during this time, there came a an idea. And we have a giant creature to thank the launch of most of the series. Let us talk about Kong. Not just Kong. King Kong. Now, I am reluctant to really call him King. But that is part of the character's original name. He's the king or god of a jungle paradise to some natives. I mean, literally, if you 
we're talking about the Skull Island Kong here. Uh, you'll you'll find variations of Kong all over. Son of Kong. Uh, I believe some people even consider Mighty Joe Young part of that. It's like no, Mighty Joe Young's his own different thing. We're not going to be talking much about him. We're going to stay focused on Kong. Right, so Kong debuted in 1933. The film by RKO Pictures, and this, but this is before Universal got uh, their hooks in there and made a few movies there. All right, and get this: the novelization of the film beat the movie by two months. So technically, the novel made it out before the movie did. So people had a chance to read about the giant, the giant gorilla before they saw him. Now, Kong, now I said giant gorilla. Kong resembles that of a giant gorilla most of the time. And actually in what in the in the Jack Black movie, he was a silverback gorilla. That's how they imagined him, that's how they made him. And it's worked out pretty well so far. And at best, his height is probably, I don't know, maybe 25 feet tall, perhaps. Perhaps a bit bigger. But, uh, back to his... Kong resembles that of a giant gorilla, but is noted as not being a giant gorilla. Some usual scientific names that he's that they classified him in 2005, they give him Megaprimatus Kong. Uh, in the MonsterVerse, the latest one with Godzilla, King of the Monsters, and before that, Kong Skull Island, before that, Godzilla 2014. Next up will be Godzilla vs. Kong. Kong actually has a Titan scientific name, and it, he is known as Titanus Kong. He is a Titan, and apparently he's an Alpha Titan, which means he's almost as big as Godzilla. So, this should be an interesting fight coming up for their latest movie, so I'm looking forward to it. Uh, nah, you know what? I'll save this for the end. I have a prediction. I might as well talk about it now. I'm never, I might not remember. But you know what? You know what? I'll save it for the end. Make a note of it so I remember. Alright, so, Kong also goes by Kong, the Eighth Wonder of the World. This is what they give him, they give him that title in the original film, Kong, the Eighth Wonder of the World, as a display for people to come see him when they take him off the island and take him to New York City, where he climbs the, you know, Empire State Building and gets shot down. Honestly, this is... This theme right there. You know, they Kong's movies are basically a lot of the same stuff. Very few original ideas in there. Most of the re, most of the stuff you see are remakes. Let's see, 1933 was an original. After that was Son of Kong. Two original films right there. Next up, you got the Jeff Bridges film, which was basically a remake of the ori of the original 1933 film. So that's two remake. So that's two of the same story right there. 
Next up, you got its sequel, Kong Lives. Which, all in all, was original, so... There's four movies total. Two, or three original, two repeat. <clears throat> or one repeat. <clears throat> but I have to jump back a little bit, because if we're talking... Kong, these are only solo Kong films. If we're talking after the 1933 and after Son of Kong, we have Godzilla, King Kong versus Godzilla. Which, uh. Ah, uh, man, I forget the year. It was back around maybe 1962, I think. Uh, when it was the third Kong film and the third Godzilla film, actually. And uh, Kong had some popularity back then. He was the more popular monster at the time. And Godzilla was still a villain back then. So uh, you can see why people will think Kong won that fight. But all kaiju fans know, if we look into it, the fact that both did not die as a result it means Godzilla let him go. Kong didn't kill Godzilla, so technically it doesn't count as a loss to many of us. But I digress, we're, we're talking about mostly Kong here. Right, so we have King Kong, son of Kong, King Kong versus Godzilla, the remake King Kong, uh, King Kong Lives, then after that, we go to Peter Jackson's Kong, 2005, with Jack Black starring in it. And that was either 2005 or 2007. I think it's 2005. And that's basically a remake of the original as well. So that's... Let's see. Six movies... Two of them remakes. And uh, after that, we get the next Godzilla film is Kong Skull Island. And that one was actually unique among it because they did not decide to take him back to civilization, which was, in my opinion, the smartest move they ever did. Taking him back would ensure his death, almost. Pardon me. Excuse me, sorry. Now, throughout his film history, Kong has actually had family. Obviously, son of Kong is one of them. Obviously, it's his son. There's also Lady Kong in the re is in the sequel to the remake with and uh, King Kong lives. We see that and an unnamed son of Kong. I suppose you could call it. And we should have thought of this before, but I don't think anyone remembered or even thought of this until Kong Skull Island. Kong had to have parents. You know, a species. And he's the last of his kind in that franchise. We literally see his parents and, um, you know, in the graphic novel, Skull Island Birth of Kong, we see what happened to them, that he was born during their fight with the skull crawlers that killed them, that his mother and father saved him. So, 
a buddy of mine commented, so basically they made Kong Batman in the universe. It's like, damn it, you're right. Ugh. It's like, you know, I, I love Batman. I really do. He's one of my favorite DC characters. But the fact that they gave that idea to Kong, it, it hurts me because, you know, in, in a way it makes sense. But you, you get where I'm going. You get what I'm going. It's just, you know, for the upcoming match, Godzilla vs. Kong, I'm kind of rooting for Godzilla, the big G-Man. I'm a little biased, mind you, but it's because I grew up with Godzilla. And now, I love both creatures. I really do. But there's just... Godzilla has so many more advantages over, the, over Kong in this. Oh. That brings me to my next talking point. Rivals and enemies. Now, Kong... In all of his movies has various enemies most of which are giant T-Rexes V-Rexes or whatever they're called in the 2005 version I just refer to call them T-Rex because you know what a T-Rex is the toy line is said differently but come on we all know dinosaur when we see one and we all know what it's supposed to be on that island anyway Skull Island is usually crawling with prehistoric life and honestly, it's some that the 2005 and the 2017 Skull Island Kong. Honestly, those are the most visually stimulating to me because we get to see ideas of prehistoric life, ideas of redesigns of different creatures that we think we know. Now, all in this, uh, we got those and the 2017 Skull Island Kong brought us the skull crawlers which was a unique idea i like them they're intelligent they're sleek but i wonder what evolutionary process led them to be two-legged by the way it's just some other thoughts that go through my head while you know while i'm doing this and better to get them out now and pose the question maybe we can answer it together honestly the their design was amazing to me i i loved it but with all those enemies there's only one clear rival to kong no matter what series he's in there's only been one historic rival godzilla himself and that's just in that's not only in popularity that's literally in the whole that's the whole purpose of king kong versus godzilla the original literally that the other, the two hate each other. They really cannot get along at all. At least that was the premise of it. Yeah, and like I said, the enemies vary from series to series. And, it, and it's worth noting. And so far as I've seen, this new calling has had no special abilities other than that he's an extremely smart. He's smart enough to handle tools, to make tools of anything that might give him an edge in the battle, but I'll, again, I'm going to go back to my prediction later on. But did you catch the, th but let's talk about his actual movie, and we'll see if you can catch the theme. The first movie and his most iconic story is this. People come to his island to, in hopes of making a movie. Or seeing something that they've never seen before and documenting it. Everything goes wrong, of course, when they encounter Kong and they manage to capture him and they want to take him back to as proof 
They take him back and show him on display as King Kong, the eighth wonder of the world. He escapes, causes destruction, climbs up the Empire State Building after capturing and kidnapping a, you know, a woman. And of course, gets shot down off the Empire State Building and dies. At the end, they say, you know, the airplanes killed him. And it's like, no, twas beauty killed the beast. Basically, that is the all-in-all theme that goes throughout most of the remakes and the original. So, did you catch the theme? We're going to be talking about it at the end as well, so be prepared. Next up, is we're going to jump ahead to, to after the Second World War. We're jumping to 1954. Okay, 1954. Wonder who we're gonna talk about here. Gosh, I wonder who. Anyway. It's been several years since the end of World War II after the dropping of you know Little Boy and Fat Man the two bombs dropped on Hiroshima and Nagasaki the nuclear age had begun and as the US and many other countries started testing their shiny new hydrogen bombs across the South Pacific one of them woke something up Q Gojira. The 1954 debut of the monster, he is known as Gojira. But as we all know here in America, his name is Godzilla, King of the Monsters. Now this original Godzilla stood at least 50 meters high. For those who don't know, that is about 164 feet in conversion there, roughly. Nor is it exactly. I'm, I'm going to say it's exactly. Now, this began. Now, the original Kong was a puppet in a little suit, so it was a stop motion picture for some of Kong's scenes. For Godzilla, that's a different story. Now, while some of it was a puppet for close up scenes and for the details in there, which, let's face it, they didn't have the technology really to do good enough detail there yet for on the suit to move the mouth and whatnot when they needed. This led to the creation of a certain type of filming progress in Japan known as Tokusatsu. It's called which literally translates to special filming. And it is known for its heavy use of special effects. And this actually led to certain series being made. It led to several different different series of course and different movies it led to a whole franchise and has style of filming but we're going to be talking at this point let's see who owes Godzilla for creating this tokusatsu filming now let's see Ultraman he was the first tokusatsu hero to debut and Super Sentai Common Rider as well would also 
do that. So literally, Kamen Rider, Super Sentai, Sentai Super Sentai, which those gave way to Power Rangers. So Power Rangers owed their style of filming to Godzilla. I think that is pretty cool. You know, kind of a nice tie-in. I knew the Dragonzor was based off him. <laughs> few, I know a few of my listeners right now are going like, I knew it! Anyway, so, like I said, he originally debuted as Gojira, which actually is derived from two Japanese words for gorilla and whale. I mean, the, it's... Der- Go from Gorira, and I believe it's Kujira for whale. So, combining those two words together, and you get Gojira. And that is spelled G O J I R A. Gojira. Alright. So. <coughs> Sorry, pardon me. During all this, it, it, it's after the Second World War, and it's starting to be in the Cold War times with the Soviet Union. Godzilla's nuclear message and the nu- about the nuclear arms race has mostly gone unheard. And really, that's a shame because we might have been better off had people heeded the warning. Oh well. Now, there are four different film series for Godzilla. You have the original Showa, the Heisei, which took place between the 80s and the 90s, the Millennium, wonder when that showed up. Yes, that's between 2000 and 2004. And finally, the, Re- the Raiwa, or Rewa. I'm not entirely sure how to pronounce this one yet, but it's R-E-I-W-A. I'm going to say Rewa. Or Raya. Raya? Raya. Raya. Raya sounds better. And in, in all these, basically his appearance doesn't change all too much. There are some details that come and go. Such as his fourth toe, ears, fangs, and the definition of his spines. They, those... Sometimes his spines will change. For instance, uh... They were all different shapes in the original, and so on and so forth through most of the Showa era, the originals. But come to the Millennium, most of them have a uniform shape that is similar to a maple leaf. When we come to the Millennium, they become more crystallized and jagged. And again, they become, well, unpredictable and oddly shaped. No uniform shape, really. And the Raiwa... Well, so far as we've seen, it... The Raiwa consists of Legendary's Universe, the Monster Universe, Shin Shin Godzilla, and the anime trilogy so far. Other than that, there are no other Godzilla films to put into this category yet. Yet being the key word. I'm hoping Japan will come up with a few more, and of course Godzilla vs. Kong coming out next year. Yes, let's just say I'm looking forward to seeing more Godzilla forms in this era. And Godzilla has, uh, speaking of different forms, he's got a few which we'll go into a little bit later. 
So, uh, but let's talk about his height right now. As I said, the original Showa was about 50 meters. That's 164 feet. The Heisei, which was the 89, uh, 84 through 95. You know what? Well, yeah, 95. Sorry. Now, the first one showed up. 80 meters. For those who don't know, that's about 262.5 feet. That's pretty darn big. And then, at his tallest in this series, he became 100 meters. This would be 328 feet in height. Then comes to the the Millennium. Now, there are three different versions here that we're going to look at. One is the Godzilla 2000 design. The other is the GMK, Godzilla, Mothra, King Adora, Giant Monsters All Out Attack. Well, I like to call it Ghost Godzilla, but it's not really a Ghost Godzilla, but you, you get what I mean. It's the white eyes and all that. It's closer to his original 54 look. Somewhat, I'll say. And then you got Final Wars, because the Basically, the Tokyo SOS, the Mecha Godzilla arc, the Kiryu arc, is basically a, re- a different color and definition than than the Millennium 2000 and versus Mega Mega Gears look, and it goes back to his traditional blue beam, his atomic breath at that point. But both of those are about 50 meters. That's, again, 164 feet. They go back to his original height. If we go to GMK, they go to 60 meters. That's 196 feet. See what a difference, you know, 10 meters can make? But then let's talk about Final Wars. Final Wars had, you know, a slimmer design than most Godzillas were. Uh, His spines were not as big on him, and he was more of a lean fighter in that one, to be honest with you. That one stands at 100 meters, which, as we said previously, is 328 feet. That's pretty big. Finally, we have the Raiwa era, and with this, we have... We have Legendary's Godzilla 2014, which stood at 108 meters, which at that point was the biggest Godzilla to date. And that's 119.8 meters, sorry, this is different. 108 meters would be 355 feet, roughly. Roughly about that. Next up is Shin Gojira, or Shin Godzilla. Sorry, I watched the other movie, I watched the movie the other day, and, uh, uh, got used to going, Gojira. So, anyway, he's up next, and, uh, he stood about, at his final height, was about 119.8 meters. And this converted is 393 feet. No way, that's not right. That's not Shin Gojira, that's... You know what, I made an error here, guys. I am, I apologize. 
that is supposed to be what they think is the hype for Legendary's God, you know, King of the Monsters Godzilla, where he's grown from the 108 meters to 119. Sorry, he is not that tall. He is actually 395 feet. Said so in the special features of the movie, he is grown to 395 feet. Exactly. 395 feet. Don't know exactly what the conversion for that is in meters, so I'm going to guess it's probably perhaps 120, 121, roughly. And let's talk about the anime. I know people hate the anime trilogy on Netflix, but all in all, it gave us a, a different design of Godzilla, and the human story wasn't that bad. The third one, at least, was somewhat good with the King Ghidorah fight. Don't get me wrong, I have my own problems with it, and I agree it's not the best. But come on, guys, it's not that bad, as people are saying. Like, there's just. There, there are toxic fans wherever you go, it's not just Star Wars. Anyway, that one stands at 300 meters. Almost 1,000 feet. If I remember the conversion right, it's about nine, close to 900 feet, roughly. Now let's talk about his forms. Now, there's a form in a game that he took called Godzilla, Super Godzilla. This one looks a lot like Space Godzilla, but instead of crystals, he's actually got spikes on his shoulders. You know, just two big spikes, on one on each shoulder. Other than that, his look looks a lot like like Space Godzilla. Moving on to burning. This is when he has too much radiation. When he can't, you know, get, you know, get the rest of the radiation that he's producing in his body under control. And he's starting to burn up and really causing everything around him to heat up. We've seen this form at least twice in Godzilla's history. Once in Godzilla vs. Destroya. Or sorry, Destoroya. It's important to remember that. Destoroya. Destoroya. That's how he, he's pronounced. But most people do call him Destroya. Or Destroyer. Apparently all three are accepted. But let's face it, Destroya is easy middle ground for everybody. Right, during that, we saw Godzilla melt down. Heartbreaking, and it's one of the most heartbreaking you know, moments in Godzilla history. It, it almost brought me to a tear when I watched that. And looking back on memories, it, yeah, it still hurts sometimes. The next is the legendary Godzilla. Now, some people call this fire Godzilla. They are incorrect. This is also a burning Godzilla. Even the creator... You know, the film director was a big Godzilla fan, and he incorporated this just to please fans. Which, let's face it, King of the Monsters was full fan service, and I loved every second of it. And finally, Shin Gojira, which he took so many forms. From Form 1, when he was just like a little fish, whatever, or a prehistoric fish, growing to those enormous sizes, walking on land... Three, you know, the second form when he literally, you know, starts walking upright. Third, 
third form. No, actually, you know what? Second form is the one that comes on land. Third is the one that stands up straight. And fourth form is when he returns and takes the more iconic Godzilla shape. His fifth form would have been the little Godzilla people, which we see on the tail. So that was actually interesting. Now, mythology and early history, basically, he woke up because of nuclear testing done in the South Pacific and has since regularly threatened man's very existence on the planet. But he's also been a hero fighting off some really worse monsters than even him, something that would have caused global extinction. And honestly, that, that's just early history. And it's rarely touched that he's di differed from that. Uh, the Legendary series takes him more as he's always, his species has always been like a protector of Earth. He's the Alpha Titan. His species keeps everyone in line. You know, it's coexistence. It's possible with him. And he's not as aggressive as other forms have been towards humans, anyway. Don't get me wrong, they get underfoot. It's more like, ew, I stepped on an ant to him, rather than, you know, like, ah, oh, I'm gonna kill you all. No, he's, it's not that he's out to kill us. He's more like, I'm sorry you're in my way, but, you know, squish. <laughs> Moving on, he's actually had a few family members over the years. Mostly a son and or brother, if you consider that the first one died. And the second one that showed up in Godzilla Raids again was technically somewhat like a brother or a member of the, another member of his species. Sorry, I don't have any t tissues to blow my nose here. Oh, I... <coughs> Ugh, sinuses are killing me today. Ah, there we go. Okay, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. Okay. Now, back to family. Let's see, we talked about that. In the... And Son of Godzilla, it's revealed he had... This is after Godzilla vs. Ebra, or Ebra, Horror of the Deep. Godzilla vs. the Sea Monster. Godzilla is sighted on an island. And apparently... He has a son. And most refer to this as Minilla or Mila. Yeah, Minilla is probably closer. Some people would call it Minya. Which, honestly, probably easier, but whatever. And not everyone seemed to like this one. You could also just call it the son of Godzilla. Not everyone seemed to care much for him. Soon enough, he was, you know, forgotten completely. And never seen again after Destroy All Monsters, I think? Or Godzilla's Revenge? I think it was Godzilla's Revenge. Anyway, so he wasn't he was never seen again after that until we go to Godzilla versus Mechagodzilla 2 in the year nine was it 1992 or 1993 in the Heisei era and uh, we see a new baby Godzilla being hatched which its surrogate brother is Rodan and they have some sort of connection 
We don't see that little Godzilla again until he becomes little Godzilla in Godzilla vs. Space Godzilla. After that, it's Godzilla vs. Destroyer, and he becomes Godzilla Jr., in which case he... We see his actual death. Godzilla tries to revive him. Doesn't work. Godzilla melts down. But then... Then at the end of the movie, we see someone look into the mist. And there is another Godzilla. Turns out this is Godzilla Jr. becoming a fully-fledged Godzilla. Rather than being, you know, what he was. Honestly, I thought... Uh, he technically wasn't full-grown at that point, I don't think. But he was starting to head that way. Or at least he was, you know, what Godzilla used to be. A Godzilla sword. Probably unmutated by radiation, and now he's become more radioactive. And he's been mutated, and that's what's made him the next Godzilla. This one is later forgotten because of Godzilla's retirement. And then we go into the Millennium Era, which we didn't see him have a son until Godzilla Final Wars. And there's no explanation for it. It's more of a nod that he had a son at that point. And the only plot device is to have the little kid character to understand why Godzilla is destroying the city. It's, it gets complicated there. Rivals and enemies. Ooh. Now, Godzilla's had numerous enemies over his, let's say, 66 years. But, rivals, he has only a few. We can say Kong, but literally, this will be their second matchup coming up in 2021. So, honestly, Kong is a little bit lower on the list. Mothra has been an enemy and an ally at times, so let's not exactly count her. Technically, let's, you know what, let's count her as a frenemy. You know, he has helped her, he has just killed her several times, too. So... That leaves only one real big rival. King Ghidorah always keeps popping up. I wouldn't mention Rodan, but Rodan has been an ally several times to Godzilla. So literally, I, 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 I honestly think Rodan would side more with Godzilla if Godzilla were in control rather than Ghidorah. So, and, and we've seen Rodan fight against both, so really it doesn't really matter on that one, I don't think. Uh, like I said, depending on the era, I mean, you've also got Gigant. Gigant's only shown up twice in Godzilla's, oh, three times in Godzilla's history. And I'm not including games here, I'm literally talking the two Showa era films he showed up in, Godzilla vs. Gigant and Godzilla vs. Megalon. And finally, Final Wars, when he showed up in the Millennium Era. He didn't show up any time during Heisei. However, you know, we've seen Mothra, Rodan... Well, actually, have we seen Rodan? In the Ro yes, we have seen Rodan, Mothra, and King Ghidorah all show up with Godzilla at all four, you know, phases. In all four filming eras for Godzilla. So... That being said, I can definitely say that these three are probably going to be the list of rivals. We've got Kong, Mothra, 
and Ghidorah being the biggest rival of them all. <clears throat> Next up is Rodan. So, let's jump to 1956. Oh, sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. I'm really getting ahead of myself. We didn't talk about the original film at all. I apologize for that. So, Godzilla's original film is somewhat shortened and replaced with different scenes in the American version so they could put an American actor in and that would be Raymond Burr playing reporter Steve Martin. Now, he was would go on to be reappear in a later movie, but according to this, he would be the only American to survive Godzilla's onslaught and the first one. But Godzilla woke up due to testing of an H-bomb, which mutated him and gave him atomic breath as an ability. It also made him enormous, or bigger than he really was in this original film. And all in all, basically, he comes ashore. Basically, think of Godzilla like a natural disaster that just happens to show up. You can't stop it. There's nothing you can do about it. No, you can only try and survive it. And basically, that was the whole point of his film. It was because he was supposed to be a metaphor for nuclear weapons. Originally, they wanted to make a bomb, or make a movie about the bombs, but being heavily censored by the West, the Japanese couldn't do that. So they just got, so they disguised their bomb as a monster, and lo and behold, we got Godzilla, and it just took off from there. Basically, they kill him. You know, with a weapon a scientist created and the scientist takes his own life after destroying his research so the weapon can never be used to harm mankind. He wanted to... He didn't want it for this. He did, he did this research to try and help mankind, but instead he accidentally created a weapon that would, you know, suppress us even more. And he wouldn't have that. So to make sure after he used it on Godzilla he, that it could never be recreated... He uh, took his own life. He died with Godzilla in the in the waters of Tokyo Bay. It was called the Oxygen Destroyer. Sound familiar? If you've seen the legendary film, it should. It's where they got the idea from. The Oxygen Destroyer and Godzilla's history are connected greatly. And honestly, I love the Godzilla franchise. I could talk about it all day, but I've. We have to move on to different monsters, so next up we're going to 1956. Okay, it is 1956. We have Rodan. Let's talk about his film for a little bit. Rodan's film, basically, he woke up after people had started mining. People were mining in this... Oh, it was a mine, obviously. And they woke up the Meganula. Or Meganulon. 
whichever they prefer to be called. <laughs> These giant, horrific caterpillars. Murderous caterpillars, I should say. So. <coughs> Sorry. <clears throat> so, they woke up these giant caterpillars and uh, they started killing and eating humans well at least I think they were and during a collapse uh, one guy ends up seeing Rodan hatching lo and behold he's, Rodan isn't the only one as Rodan starts feeding on the caterpillars so he's a worse threat than the caterpillars are in this guy's mind he hatched from an egg that was in a volcano. A giant egg. I'll, they think it was fully grown to begin with. Honestly, it couldn't have been. So it, it grew fast. But it started eating people. Which then became a problem. And it could fly at supersonic speeds. Which really could tear jets apart. Or not just jets. It could literally tear cities to... They, it could tear them asunder just by flying over them. Which, in my opinion, and I have to stop here just to say, Godzilla and Ghidorah both have to attempt to destroy a city. Or at least, you know, it's not like it's... Destroying an entire city, you know, takes a lot of effort. Or it, it doesn't happen on accident. For Godzilla, yeah... It takes some effort to do so. He's really concentrating on the fight or using his surroundings to help him. You know, it's usually not on purpose. For, or like, or if it is, it's because the fight took so long with a big opponent like, say, Ghidorah. But for Rodan, destroying the entire city, not that hard. All he has to do is fly over it a few times with at top speed. And then he can do that. His He literally creates hurricane force winds behind him as he flies over, flying that fast. That's enough to demolish a few buildings. That's enough to cause a lot of problems and cause a lot of devastation. So in my opinion, the fact that he can do this without even trying or realizing, that makes Rodan, in my opinion, a little bit stronger than Godzilla. Doesn't mean he can win in a fight. It just means... He has an advantage on destroying cities, and he's more dangerous. Okay, back to the movie. So, the idea is to kill the Rodans, the two of them, apparently male and female. And the way to do this, they eventually shoot at them and wound them, and they get one and it lands on a lava flow and catches fire. The other not wanting to lose its mate or not wanting to be without it, you know, dies with it. It literally lands on the corpse and catches flame and willingly dies so it's not alone. Or because, or it doesn't want its mate to die alone. A little bit of loyalty there, I just... It, it was heartbreaking somewhat watching that. I mean, I got it, you know, there can, there was no other way for it to end in a way, in my, I guess. But honestly, it's just, it was, it was sad, it really was. And these would be the Rodan that we know from the Showa era, those were its parents. So apparently they laid an egg and 
Rodan has since become a side character. He hasn't got as much popularity. I mean, don't get me wrong, he's a Godzilla fan favorite. But he hasn't gotten enough popularity to do major his own movies, not like Mothra or Godzilla have. Even Ghidorah doesn't get his own franchise, and he you know, basically got his own movie to start off with that guest starred Mothra, Rodan, and Godzilla. Now, we've already talked about his family. He doesn't really have... As far as we know, Rodan doesn't have any descendants other than that. So literally, once he dies, he is gone. That's it for him. Alright, so... The Showa era... And we're going to discuss wingspan here because it is a factor. Now, the tallest version belongs to the Millennium era. He stood as tall as Godzilla in most of the franchise. Except the Heisei. That, at that point, by the time he showed up, Godzilla was 100 meters tall. Or Let's just start off with the size. Showa era was 50 meters tall, which was with a 120 meter wingspan. I'm not going to do the conversions here because I've mentioned these before. Okay, I'll mention the height one. 50 meters would be 164 feet. So, right about there. That's the Showa era with a 120 meter wingspan. Let's see. We know that 119 meters is roughly 393 feet. So let's assume that he's probably close to 400 foot wingspan. Then we got the Heisei era. That one's 70 meters. So that one's in between... 196 feet and 262 and a half feet. So, really, quite a big bird. Or, <laughs> he's not a bird, he's a pteranodon. Hence, hence his name. His name is actually a parody of two different things. One, that he's a pterodon or pterodactyl. The giant prehistoric flying dinosaur. And you could say it's more of a descendant of a bird or just a flying reptile. But, come on, we know prehistoric reptiles are usually called dinosaurs and that's how most people know it so we're going to do that and the fact that his he's also known in the Japanese as radon which is a play on radon which is that radioactive deadly you know element literally it's on the periodic table you can look it up right now all right so the 70 meter Heisei version had 150 meter wings that is a huge wingspan. Right? And then the Millennium Era had a hundred was a hundred meters tall, same height as Godzilla in the film, with a two hundred meter wingspan. Yikes. We know about three hundred meters is close to a thousand feet. That's about right about nine hundred. So this should roughly be I think, heck, it could be anywhere between 600 feet to to 800, as far as I know. I didn't do the conversion on this one, but yowza. Bringing up the rear is the latest version of Rodan, the King of the Monsters version, the Titan, Titanus Rodan. He stands at 154 feet tall, which is 46.94 meters, for those who are paying attention. And his wingspan is 871 feet. That's 265.48 meters. Okay, so, whoa. 
really, I'm, I'm wondering what else they'll do with Rodan down the road. Rodan is, we gotta focus on Godzilla's singular point. We're getting a different look of Rodan than, than there's ever been. I'm kind of excited to see what what it is. He's really looking more like uh, a Pteranodon in this, and apparently he's got offspring, or he's an entire species. Not sure how that works, but we'll see when the anime comes out. Next up, we're going to go to 1961. Okay, picking up where we left off, I believe we were headed to 1961. Allow me to introduce Titanus Mosura, or as we like to call her, Mothra. Mothra is actually very interesting among kaiju. She's actually one of the most benevolent you'll ever find. Literally, Anytime she's seen, unless you are messing with her priestesses, aka the fairies, or the twins, or, ah, crud, I'm gonna mispronounce this, I know, she, Nobijin, or, uh, it's, I never really heard them referred to as this, so really, it's, it's hard, but most people know them as the fairies, or, you know, the cosmos, Whatever, the two twin priestesses, the tiny girls, that Mothra always has speaking for her, that translate for her, and can actually translate other monsters, too. She actually has some mysticism with her, and that is and that is actually really cool that I like. She's not a product of, you know, radiation. She's a product of ancient mythology. Which makes her unique among kaiju in a lot of a lot of sense. Mostly, it's always just an ancient dinosaur or a, or a mutated iguana. It's like you know, this is this is actual you know mythology, or it's an actual almost deity-like level. Now, her appearance is actually quite interesting. She's influenced by silkworms. They're imagos, or their adult forms, and giant silk moths that are in the family of Saturniidae. I'm hoping I'm pronouncing that right. These moths have some beautiful coloring and beautiful wings. They're not all gray and gross looking. I mean, if you really look at the moth family, they're, they are just as beautiful as butterflies can be. Just absolutely fabulous. Just so many different looks. And interestingly enough, she has her own series of movies, uh, or at least she had uh, three, featuring Mothra Leo, of course. Uh, she actually gained a lot of popularity with women, becoming their becoming the second favorite Toho monster. Hence, why she is also known as the Queen of the Monsters. And she really has a lot of popularity among women, which is why they kept using her. They kept bringing her back, which is, you know, which is huge. They got more women into the Godzilla franchise, and that's good. That's good. It kept the franchise going, and it kept with fresh ideas, you know, unique. Honestly, I'm all for it. 
Mothra is actually one of my favorites. It's like she's a good foil for Godzilla. Godzilla's this destruction. He's power incarnate. Mothra is benevolent. She is kindness. She is mercy. You know, don't get her wrong. Make her mad enough, she can lay waste to any city just as well as Godzilla. Okay, not as well, but you get what I mean. She can still lay waste to the city. As for family, we don't know about her parentage, but we do know the adults usually don't last long. Her life cycle is relatively short. But before she dies, she always lays an egg, usually giving birth to twins. Usually, not always. I believe in the original movie, one Mothra hatched from the egg, went to go save the fairies, and became the adult form somewhere near Tokyo Tower. Or was that... No, it was different. But still, that Mothra then had an egg. It washed ashore, and then she had to fight Godzilla, losing her life in the process. And her twins, who hatched from the egg, took over the fight and actually... With a few efforts, you know, with a lot of efforts and guerrilla tactics, actually won against Godzilla. Well, apparently one of those twins died after the fight, and the other one took on Ghidorah. The other one, that one went and became, you know, a moth, or reached adult form, and helped save the people on the island on Ebera, the Horror of the Deep. Fought against Godzilla again, trying to distract him. And eventually died and had another one that wound up a monster island under the control of the Kelax. So that, as far as we know, is the family tree so far. So anytime you see Mothra, you know her life is not long. At best, it's usually probably maybe a few years, probably. But who knows what her actual life rate is. On the mythology, I mean, it's the priestesses who sing, and basically that song can give her power, can summon her, can call to her, calm her down. Really, it is amazing, the level of what they put in here. And I hope they keep the mystery in there. We don't need to know how this is. As much as we want to know, we don't need to. Because that's what makes the character great. She's a mystery, and she's different than... Godzilla and Rodan and Anguirus and all of them, you know? She's, she's just different. Let's keep her that way. And in her Rebirth series, she got a... One villain kept popping up in different forms. However, I will mention him at a later date. Or not a later date, at a later time, later in the podcast. And that is all we have on Mothra so far. Just that she's a top-tier kaiju. I've I've seen a lot of her films. I have not seen the original. I want to. I've only seen trailers and bits. I want... If I can track down that film, I will. A lot, some of these films I've seen from here on out. The others, I have not. I will mention what I have and what I have not seen. And I will derive from there. And 
I'll be as honest as I can so you know that this is not exactly biased. It's more of what I've got. So, that's Mothra, so far as I know. So, I'll leave it at that. Moving on, we're going, we're still into 1961, and we're moving to a dinosaur quote. We're leaving Japan for a quick second and popping over to Britain itself. So, stay tuned. Okay, so, as I said, 1961, we're popping over to Great Britain for a bit. Now, Britain started the whole dinosaur, you know, rage. The whole, you know, collecting dinosaur bones, studying them, and putting them into museums. It started over there. Even It's so big over there that they, as far as I know, they even still have a dinosaur garden near Buckingham Palace. At least I think they do. It, it could have changed over the years. Uh, I saw a special on this years and years ago. But honestly, this movie has to be mentioned. And while it's not in... I mean, it's in the ballpark. It's basically a suit acting, highly special effects and models and all that. I think they were trying to cash in on the popularity of Godzilla and tell a dinosaur story. There was a 1961 film, and uh, it was called Gorgo. Oddly enough, the Gorgosaurus is an actual dinosaur, but it's uh, it's different than what the creature was in the film. And it was just called Gorgo, and apparently you watch it enough, apparently they named it that because of the Gorgon, which, if you know, it resembles Medusa. No, actually, it doesn't resemble it. It is Medusa. That's... Uh, completely different creature but it's basically a dinosaur that woke up because of volcanic eruption and apparently it's aquatic but according to the description on the film it said it's a t-rex now i've actually seen the film it looks nothing like a t-rex it, it's its own type of dinosaur it's big it's got these big forearms which actually is very interesting you won't I don't think you would see that outside of a quadruped. Or a theropod, in their case. No, wait. I think it's theropod. It could be sauropod. But either way, it's, you know, you don't usually see long arms like this outside of smaller, you know, dinosaurs that, well, that are somewhat carnivorous, but they don't, more her, more insectivore or, or an egg eater. Insectivores, just so you know, don't they eat insects, if that wasn't clear. Alright, so, more about the film. Basically, this dinosaur, you know, comes ashore. They call it Gorgo. They capture it off and are taking it and sell it to a circus in, in London. Lo and behold, scientists who study it realize that this... Uh, let's see if I remember. 65 foot tall, 19.8 meters, if you're wondering. This six, this 65 foot tall dinosaur is not full grown. It's, at best, a juvenile or baby. And, they, and people, the people who caught it and are profiting from it are wondering, what would a full adult be? 
Uh, they theorize about 200 feet, you know, estimate, which would be about 61 meters, roughly. Probably a little bit less, but rounding up here to 61 meters. Lo and behold, Big Mama shows up. And this one is called Agra. Now, uh, if you pay attention in the story, uh, he actually, the little boy mentions a legend about when Vikings showed up to Ireland or wherever they started this and looking for the treasure or looking for artifacts and whatnot. And they said that, and he says, Agra. He mentions that a creature named Agra, you know, drove them off. So Gorgo would be her son about the size of what Agra was. So the lifespan of these creatures has got to be long. Basically, and then uh, Agra looking for her son or daughter or whatever the creature Gorgo would be considered. That during all this uh, destruction rampages, she destroys Big Ben in the movie. And just so you know, Big Ben is 315 feet. That's 96 meters for those paying attention. So let's see here, 61 meters roughly to 96. That's a big difference, but still able to destroy that big clock tower. Either way, basically the movie ends with Agra and Gorgo going back into the sea, and we're assumed never to be seen again. And next we're going back to Japan for 1962. So that's it for Gorgo. So thank you, Britain. You gave us one heck of a kaiju there. Welcome to the year 1962. Man, we have done some time traveling, haven't we? From 1933 to 1962. Anyway, here we're going to meet a new monster. A monster that, according to the American dubbed version, wiped out Mars. But if you watch the Japanese version, wiped out Venus. Yes, we're talking about King Ghidorah. And there are ways to pronounce his name. Ghidra, Ghidra, Ghidora. Ghidora is how it's usually spelled, but Ghidra technically is correct as well. He showed, showed up in... No, wait, it wasn't 1962. I apologize, it's 1964. 1964 he showed up. And... In, and I remember this because if you watch King of the Monsters, the new, if I had remembered this little fact, you know, he showed up in 1964, which it could be a reference, uh, well, not, it's not a reference, that's literally the year he was, you know, planned. But if you watch King of the Monsters, you'll find Monster Zero, aka King Ghidorah, in... Outpost 32 in the Antarctic, which I think is a reference to Final Wars, partially and partially to uh, The Thing. But you'll notice it's Outpost 32. Now, this could be a reference, in fact, to Outpost 31, which was The Thing, or uh, the fact that Ghidorah has three heads, two tails, or the fact that this is half of, what, of the year he showed up in. 32 plus 32 is 64. 1964 is when he showed up. 
So he appeared in Ghidorah, the three-headed monster. So I apologize, that one's my bad. I had written down wrong. I thought it was two, it was four. It's 1964. I apologize. Anyway, his appearance basically um, comes at a time when Godzilla and Rodan are fighting. Mothra is able to convince them to work together after, you know, by, you know, taking on Ghidorah herself and nearly dying in the process, and then only not being killed when Godzilla and Rodan intervene and help her out. Thus began Godzilla's career as somewhat of an anti-hero. You know, he's not good, he's not bad. You, you get it. But Ghidorah is truly, truly something else. Now, they always, now, during the show era, I doubt they plan far ahead to give these, an, you know, other than being animals. But since then, Ghidorah as a character has developed this sadistic streak. Truly, truly, he, he knows what he's doing. Apparently, he's, he has some form of sentience that he knows what he's doing and that he likes what he does. Now, I mentioned Mothra had her own series of films and that uh, a certain villain showed up. Ghidorah, in a, one form or another, showed up. Now, the true King Ghidorah, the one from space that we know of, the true, the King of Terror, showed up in the third and final film of the trilogy. But, we saw, uh, let's see, what was the second one? The second one was Dagarla, I think, or however you pronounce it. Uh, the second one, or the first one was Des Ghidorah, which was uh, Death Ghidorah. But uh, it, it's different. Apparently, that's the one that, uh, well, that's not the one that wiped out the dinosaurs, but it could have killed all life on Earth, and even Mothra, Mothra Leo, couldn't stop it. It could just lock it, it had to lock it back up. So I'm not sure if that one's more powerful or if, you know, Mothra Leo was just too weak at the time. Really, the, the question remains open, but for Grand King Ghidorah, as he's known for some, he's had the third and final film. He is power. He teleported a bunch of kids to terrorize them and then eat them after they turned to goo. He's enjoying turning their fear against them. This is what he's doing, and if we saw in King of the Monsters, he's fully aware of humans, and he's each head kind of has its own personality. But I'm not going to bring in Kevin and the others right now. <laughs> Little internet joke there with Kevin. <clears throat> Funny thing is... That uh, when they did the motion capture for Ghidorah and King of the Monsters... They actually had three different actors portray each of the heads. So it became... It just added to the ability that they each had a different personality. I just I just like that little little fun fact. Now, his appearance originally Ghidorah was actually supposed to be bluish with clear red, white, and blue, you know, wings. I found that interesting, but uh, he eventually became gold. Somewhere down the line. And apparently he was supposed to meant he was meant to have eight heads. But that found troublesome with the puppeteer, so they cut it down to three. 
And yes, he's a reference to the Greek mythology of the Hydra. But it's a, it's all one thing. But the fact that he's got, he has three heads, two tails, two wings, no arms, and two legs. So all in all, he's got this interesting look. If you look at his heads, they resemble that of the Chinese of a Chinese dragon or an Asian lung dragon or whatever you prefer. It has that those horns, those frills, that kind of hair, that mane. In the original, those fangs and those decorative horns. And the fact that having him come from outer space is a stroke of genius. You know, he doesn't he doesn't have to play by the same rules. This being said, I'm going to move on quickly because he is mostly a character that's meant for destruction. He is as as a purpose as and the majority, other than two of his roles, he is a villain. Only two times has he not necessarily been a villain, or even an alien. But, or, or at least one time he's not been a villain. Only when he's Mecha King Ghidorah has he not been exactly a, a villain. But otherwise, yeah, he's, he's always bad. Uh, only two major rivals, and I've mentioned them, Godzilla and Mothra. Literally, those are the only two that have seriously put dents in his plans of destroying Earth and all life on it. Yeah, uh, Rodan has helped, but not much. And of course, we all saw... If you're listening to this, you know I mentioned King of the Monsters. You probably paused and watched it. Or if you're waiting to the end, spoiler alert. Uh, Rodan doesn't help much against Ghidorah in King of the Monsters, so we can rule him out. Okay, making a stop in 1965 up next... All right, so thank you, King Ghidorah. Now, I cannot mention a kaiju episode, or I cannot do the kaiju list without mentioning one of Toho's biggest competitors, and that is Dae Films... And their creation with twelve different films under his belt, with a Showa and a Heisei era, but no Millennium since. Literally, last appearance was 2004. We gotta bring in Gamera. Now, Gamera is known by many different names, mostly or many different nicknames. One Guardian of Guardian of the Universe, friend to all children, you know. So, his abilities alone are interesting. He was created during the time of the space race, so I guess they thought, let's make it, let's give him a flying ability. So now he can. This is a mon, a giant turtle monster that can shoot fire out of the holes of his shell, you know, when he tucks in his limbs, and fly. Not only that, he can breathe fire. And this turtle has tusks. So, honestly, it's an interesting idea. Uh, originally, he was... Uh, now, I got to see a little bit of the first one. And, uh... I've, got, I've watched the Heisei era, all three films. Minus Gamera the Brave. I never saw that one. I haven't been able to find it. Honestly, Gamera is an interesting character. I like the Heisei era. I think that's his strongest form. 
you know, he's got, he's got this kind of begrudging about him. You know, he'll help humanity, he'll protect innocent children, but he doesn't care much for adults. And, it, and it's clear why. I mean, he thinks humanity could be the Earth's greatest threat, and he's the guardian of Earth in a way. And his original origins, he was just a prehistoric turtle that was awakened by nuclear testing and somewhat mutated by nuclear testing. He woke up in an iceberg from, uh, not unlike the, you know, Godzilla versus King Kong versus Godzilla when Godzilla emerged from an iceberg. But let's talk about uh, his second origin where he was actually a creation of Atlantis. Basically, they created the Gauss, which are... If, you, if you're if you a fan of Gamera, you know the Gauss. If you're not, let me tell you about them. These are giant, crazy murder birds. Apparently, they were meant for protection, but the people of Atlantis uh, kind of screwed it up. And they started killing them. To protect themselves from these giant monsters, what did they do? They made another giant monster. This one actually worked. Sadly, it looks like Gamera may have been the last maybe the last of his kind and or the only one or was just the perfection of what they built or the last one that they built so who knows honestly i kind of like the atlantis thing better it adds more mysticism to him and it just makes him feel more realistic I, no not realistic more uh it's like ah okay this is why he's got that you know kind of you know, feel to him. This is why he's got that kind of intelligence. He's bioengineered, so to speak. Now, at his top height, he's estimated between 60 to 80 meters. So, if you've been paying attention, that's 196 to 262 feet. And that's actually pretty darn big considering, you know, a turtle. And considering that, he's quite agile, too. Unlike Godzilla, who tends to be a little bit clumsy, even despite even having a second brain right where his tail meets his torso. Eh, who knows? Alright, moving on, we're going to talk about War of the Gargantuas next, and one of Ishiro Honda's best films, in my opinion. Love watching this film, it's one of my favorites, so we're going to talk about that. As promised earlier, I said I would talk about War of the Gargantulas. And here we are. This is 1966. Alright, so, War of the Gargantulas is basically a sequel, or trying to be a sequel, to 1965's Frankenstein Conquers the World. In that movie, which I have not seen, but I know a little bit about it, uh, Baragon who, if you're a Godzilla fan, you know. Baragon is a dinosaur-like monster, floppy ears, big horn on top of his head, uh, ability to breathe fire. He shows up. Uh, he's digging holes, and Frank, a giant version of Frankenstein's monster is blamed for, you know, most of the destruction that he's causing. Apparently, this Frankenstein also has regeneration ability, regeneration ability, yeah, regeneration abilities somewhat. 
Uh, basically, a big battle ensues. Both die. Or supposedly die. So, War of the Gargantuan is supposed to be a sequel to a... They were raising a Frankenstein-like monster in a lab. And some years ago, apparently, it, it was supposed to be dead. But apparently, it was released into the mountains and has been since. But apparently, something similar is coming out of the sea. And it's eating and attacking people. It's like... It can't be the same creature. It can't be. DNA found on one of the attacked boats proves that it is the same creature. But he couldn't breathe underwater, so they, they think. So they try and find the one that was in the mountains. They look, and apparently this monster attacks an airport while the sun isn't out. Apparently light frightens it. And when it goes ashore and goes in, it's starting to lose that... You know, ability is starting to lose that weakness to light. And it still does not like people. While, and this big green menace is being attacked and gets saved by a brown one. This is the one that was in the mountains. This is the one that was raised by people. This one likes people. And I've seen this film. This War of the Gargantua is, oh my god, I, lo I loved everything about it. And it, and it, it, it really is a good film. I suggest you watch. Basically, uh, the green one is called Gyra. And the brown, or yellow if you prefer, or brown, eh, it's brown. You know, is called Sanda. Now, the movie basically ends with both of them fighting to the death. Apparently, Gyra is an, a regenerated cell that... You know, basically, Santa basically must have scratched himself close to water, and that cell, you know, basically grew into Gyra near water, so it adapted to living underwater. Hence the, and plus, it, since it wasn't near, you know, people, and since it grew to this height on its own, it must, you know, its aggression is because it wasn't around people it basically sees them as a food source only so it's live or you know kill or be killed so and I'm, I'm gonna bring the honorable mentions here before I move on to the next one I definitely gotta bring in these Frankenstein conquers the world I already mentioned it's where we got Baragon space amoeba which honestly now that was a good one uh, brought us Gizora, Ganamis, and Kamibus, the giant turtle. Just, I, I love everything about these two films, uh, about War of the Gargantuas and Space Amoeba. Honestly, it, it just, it feels like a good, you know, kaiju movie to me. And we got to see Kamibus again in the Millennium series. Uh, we don't get to see Gizora or the other one much. I'm gonna. Th I think it's pronounced Ganamis, but they never actually mentioned that in the film that I watched. And of course, Varon the Unbelievable, which brought us Varon. But uh, a lot of people tend to forget Varon, and I. When people hate on this game all the time, Godzilla Unleashed actually brought him in. I liked that. It it was good. I I loved it. You know, playing as Varon was, you know, cool nostalgia factor for me. And then there's the Atrigan, which brought us Manda. These are all worth mentioning in their own in their own right. I've seen bits and pieces of Atrigan and seen bits and pieces of Frankenstein Conquest of the World. Varon, I've seen. Space of Evil, I've seen. 
War of the Gargantuas, seen it. So definitely, if you if you get a chance, check out these films. Really, they they are worth they are worth the watch. If you're a kaiju fan, yes. If you're not, more than likely you'll find them a little bit cheesy. But still, I highly recommend. All right, so moving on from those honorable mentions. Let's see, I believe the next one we should talk about is 1968's Destroy All Monsters. Now, honestly, in my opinion, this is one of my all-time favorite Showa-era films. Well, we've had several crossovers in the past with Godzilla, Mothra, and Rodan, with the two seemingly just joining Godzilla's movies rather than starting their own franchise and going from there. Destroy All Monsters brought in even more into Godzilla's universe. Um, we had Gorosaurus from King Kong Escapes, the second, the second Toho film that featured King Kong after King Kong vs. Godzilla. After that, they didn't have many rights after that. Oh, uh, by the way, little, no little known fact... Ebra, Horror of the Deep, or Godzilla vs. the Sea Monster, was initially supposed to have King Kong versus the Giant Lobster, or Shrimp, or whatever he is. But it didn't. But after Toho didn't have the rights for Kong anymore, they switched it out with Godzilla. That made it a little bit better, in my opinion, for a fight. But that means we would have gotten Kong versus Mothra, and Mothra winning that fight. Because technically, she technically knocked Godzilla back to save the people. So, she, again, was able to distract Godzilla long enough. Now, if the fight had carried on any longer, Godzilla would have eventually won. But, moving on, we're talking about Destroy All Monsters here. That's just... Think about it. We could have had Kong versus the, you know, Ebera. That would have been interesting to see. So, <clears throat> now everyone keeps saying that the Avengers was the first shared universe. No, 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 it wasn't. It was one of the best, don't get me wrong. But, literally, Destroy All Monsters was one of the first. It's not the first. There are probably other movies that crossed over, like uh, Bela Lugosi's. You know, Dracula met Boris Karloff's Frankenstein and the Lon Chaney Jr.'s Wolfman. They've, they've had crossovers before. So this wasn't exactly new, but it with these giant monsters, I don't think it had been done before. Yeah, I, I, when event, people say, people always say it to me around or around me, Avengers is the first shared universe, and I have to go with the captain from Final Wars, Captain Gordon, just going, nah, you're wrong. And then I had to bring up Destroy All Monsters, and I show them, it's like, these all, all had their separate movies. Let's see, we had Rodan, Mothra, Manda was an Atragon, Veron showed up, Veron the Unbelievable, Baragon from Frankenstein Conquers the World, Gorosaurus from... King Kong Escapes. 
The rest showed up in various Godzilla movies, such as Kamunga or Spiga, which are depending on the version you watch. Honestly, it's just, and not to mention even Ghidorah had his own film that featured Godzilla, Mothra, and Rodan, and he showed up later. I mean, it, it's all right there. Even Godzilla's, even the son of Godzilla showed up in it. I noticed he didn't play a big role in it, mind you, but still. And as an added note, we had to talk about Ultraman and Zone Fighter. Zone Fighter was actually a one-season TV series, not unlike Ultraman, but it was owned by Toho. And they actually teamed Godzilla up with him to fight against Gigan and Ghidorah. So it was really good to see that kind of connecting. It was confirmed that it is in the Showa era. You know, that the show took place during that. So the monsters, uh, he just happened to be at a different place than the other monsters, I guess. But Ultraman, Ultraman is a tokusatsu, you know, superhero. And, you know, the ability to change size. Uh, now they've... I've seen the Netflix show that they did. And they're fighting aliens. And there was one kaiju that apparently was an alien. But, you know, some some of the best looks, I think, were in the show era of the series. Um, I'm thinking, like, Axel or... or uh, I'm not sure how you pronounce it. But they even used a Godzilla suit for one of the monsters. Just added a big fin and changed the paint job a little bit. And you know what? It wasn't that bad. It actually seemed pretty good. And I thought it was a kind of a nod to Toho that they did that. You know, like they're trying to send a message here. But, you know, maybe it was just that Toho sold them the suit and allowed them to use it. Uh, but, you know, it could be a number of things. So, moving on, we're going to jump several decades into 2013, so... Alright, so... I feel like the final talking point we can talk about here, because we can talk about all the monster movies all day long. But this one was important to knowing because it was more of a homage to the original, you know monster movies. It was more a clap, uh, a retelling. Well, it's not a retelling. It's an original idea. But the director and creator wanted to pay respect, a homage to, you know, what influenced them in this film in the first place. And those were the classic kaiju, you know, the, you know, and the mecha. We gotta be talking about 2013's Pacific Rim. And we're also going to be talking about 2018's Pacific Rim Uprising, the sequel. Now, I know the sequel doesn't get as much love as the original, and the original, all I hear from the kaiju community, that not a lot of people like it in the first place, but that, you know, personally, what I feel, I actually really like these films. These films were... They just did right to me. It just felt right. Yes, there are some holes. Yes, there are some plot errors, but nothing's ever truly perfect. I mean, you you go back enough, I'm sure you'll find plot holes in the Avengers universe. 
in the MCU. Yes, I know, I know, like, blasphemy, all that, it's like, but it's true, right? You go back enough, I'm sure you'll find something that no one's pleased with. I mean, it's just, if you try and please everybody, you're gonna wind up losing everyone. Just work with what you got and please who you can. Don't worry about everyone else. I guess that's the moral of the story, I suppose. Alright, moving on to our actual topic. It is directed by Guillermo del Toro. Honestly, we all know, great movie maker. Really great. Seriously, he's done some fantastic work, and he employs makeup artists, and so much who have done some amazing looks over the years. Right? So... Now, it was said in an interview that when he wanted these kaiju made, he wanted them to be able to, like, you know, for his audience to think, hey, this could honestly be someone in a suit. You know, he that, I mean, it wasn't. It was all CGI. Maybe even a bit of motion capture. But to be able to put someone in a suit like this, I mean, it's the whole suit acting. It's the tokusatsu. He wants to pay homage to that. He wants to... You know, show his respect for that type of filmmaking, and while he's doing a completely different one, and while, and we gotta say, I mean, most of the films today are tokusatsu in a way because they rely heavily on special effects. I mean, literally, the, literally, the definition is special filming. It, it's heavy use of special effects. I mean, you can see that in films all over today. So technically, you can count a lot of these films as tokusatsu. And when I watch it, I get a very nostalgic feel for it. You know, it, it's, it's an interesting story. And it's and like I said, it, it is a homage. It is paying tribute. It is a show of respect for the kaiju, the mecha, and anime media. Honestly, they did... To me, the first one is gold. I, I love the first one. It was great. The second one... Oh, the second one, if you notice when they're pulling up kaiju references after uh, they're looking... For what uh, Miss Mari sent them, Mako Mori sent them, you know, and they're looking through for kaiju that represented. You'll notice Gaian, Baragon, Varon, uh, and several different kaiju throughout. You'll see Gauss in there. Uh, Gamera also made it in. They, they just show all these and it was a subtle nod to like for you know to um, other kaiju movies I believe Baragon even made it in I may have already said that I'm not sure and they even had so many they had various kaiju different rankings different sizes I mean I like the ranking system you know and I I even watched it it's like what would you rank some of the kaiju that we know like, and varying sizes too. I mean, like Slantern, the one in the first one, the, the last one, the category five. Uh, apparently, he's bigger than Godzilla. And it's like, but is he more dangerous than Godzilla? The question remains. He may be bigger, but he's not as dangerous. I mean, Godzilla's got, you know, other things. And I, I have questioned this on a few. But it's its own universe, it's in Legendary, I don't think we're going to get a crossover with Pacific Rim and Godzilla. But you never know. 
it's, you know, it's one of those things that we always think of. Uh, Gypsy Danger from the first one was 260 feet. For those who don't know, that's 79.25 meters. And Slantern was bigger than it. And we know Godzilla is, well, the original Godzilla was 164. And various versions have actually towered over Gypsy Danger. The latest one is actually almost 400 feet. So almost towering over it by at least 130. Not bad. Not bad in height. And honestly, I love the whole two pilot system, you know, share the load. I mean, if they made it one pilot, then they can make a Jaeger for everyone. And then it's just, you know, it's, it's almost too easy. You know, you have to work with it. I like how it, you know, they made it known that it puts too much strain on the brain for one person to just keep piloting it alone, you know, with the size and everything else. So it it worked. It really it really worked for me. Gypsy Avenger from the sequel. It's several years after the wars ended in Pacific Rim, and now it looks like they are coming back. And Gypsy Avenger is 268 feet, eight feet taller than his predecessor. That's 81.72 meters. And it's just... Well, see, I, I love the design of the new Jaegers. I, I really liked how they incorporated, you know, they really made Gypsy Avenger. That look just... I mean, it just worked for me. I, I love both of them. I love, you know, and I love the different ideas, like uh, Crimson Typhoon, uh, Cherno Alpha. All of these are, you know, great mecha. I, I, I like their look. You know, it, you can get their idea for a region. Or where they're from. And it's just... It, it blends well to me. And it's like, yeah, there could be someone. This could be an actual suit if we could make something this detailed in real life. And it would look pretty good. And pretty much, the, the, you know, that's pretty much all I have to really say. But it, it's just a... It's just a nice salute to the kaiju franchise it's just it's there we have to deal with it if we don't like it tough then it wasn't really meant for you personally i love it i keep it i've got both movies i watch them regularly so So, did you happen to catch the theme of the movies? If you're wondering, I am pausing so you can think about it. What do they all have in common? Godzilla, Rodan, Kong. These three in particular we're going to look at for the theme. Because after their origins, they basically just became about monsters fighting monsters. And humanity just screwing things up. Well, to be fair, I just gave you a hint. Humanity screwed things up. These monsters, or these creatures, woke up from deep sleep. In which we're not even sure that they would have woken up in the first place. And thus came 
fighting titans, these monsters from a bygone era, these prehistoric creatures who it wasn't really their fault that they were in a place they shouldn't have been. And that's the thing. These aren't really monsters. They are animals. Big, large, super animals. But animals nonetheless. What gave humanity the right to extinguish them in the, in the movie universe than it did any other way? It's, it's the major question, and it's the theme. I mean, with Kong, had they not taken him from Skull Island, who knows how long he would have lived. You know, he could have lived so long, but instead he died in New York after falling off the Empire State Building and being shot, of course. And the old phrase, "'Twas beauty killed the beast." He died to save the girl that he had fallen in love with. You know, that's the whole thing. You know, Kong has strings you can pull when it comes to, you know, women. He fell in love with one girl, and because of that, it killed him. Godzilla, he was just a product of H-bomb testing. He woke up because of that, and when he just was doing his own thing, being the animal that he is, you know, they feared him because of his size, his power. This is what Ishiro Honda meant when he said, monsters are tragic beings. They are born too big, too strong, too heavy. Like, that is their tragedy. They are not evil by choice. It's not, they're, even in Ghidorah, when the fairies are translating for you know, the monsters, when they're telling the humans that Mothra's trying to get Godzilla and Rodan to work together, Godzilla and Rodan make a strong case that, you know, why should we? You know, what happened, you know, what happens to mankind is not our concern. You know, they've always hated us and attacked us, you know, so why, you know, should we? And it made a really compelling point, and I feel that is the major theme with monster movies. However, that isn't true for all. Some of them are just, you know, the monster, you know, the one you thought was a monster has to defend, you know, these irresponsible beings who try and destroy him from their worst creation. And it's, wow, you know, it's like, you know, he's stuck cleaning up their messes. And I like it when they brought that back in Final Wars. It's like when the kid asks, why is Godzilla destroying the city? And long before you were born, man made a huge fire, you see. Destroyed everything. Burned everything. That is why Godzilla cannot forgive mankind. I feel like he's either referencing the atomic bomb or mankind really had an event in that universe that really ticked Godzilla off. I mean, even in Godzilla Cataclysm, the comic, you have, um, you know, the... The whole city is in, or the whole world is in ruins. And it turns out there was a project trying to control the monsters using telepathy. And apparently they didn't like that. They broke free of that and literally wiped out the earth for, or wiped out most of the earth for trying that. And now it's just humanity trying to survive and hoping Godzilla never returns. And it's... And when he does, it's like, you know, after the last guy who was involved with the project dies, Godzilla's able to forgive. Maybe it's because he had a connection 
with Godzilla because they tried. I don't know. But whatever it is, we can uh, we can assume that they kept to the theme. IDW did a fantastic job, and I'm glad they have the license to start a new comic back, which means we might see some of their old Godzilla stuff hitting the graphic novel shelves graphic novel shelves soon so I'm looking forward to that hopefully we'll see it soon so yeah that's the underlying theme uh, and Rodan you know it wasn't their fault they woke up because of the mining that woke up the Meganula which woke, eventually woke up the Rodans and they were killed just for existing and eating they had a food source I mean think about it, giant animals I mean what are we to a tiger if not a possible food source? What are we to a giant, to a 16-foot crocodile, you know, if not a possible food source? I mean, think about it. These are animals that tower over humans. I mean, even a polar bear will take you down for food. It's not that hard to imagine for a giant animal that needs a lot of fuel, probably. Even the T-Rex is theorized to have eaten so much just to keep it moving. I mean, there's no way it could be a scavenger. To move a body like that, it takes, it takes a lot more. So, we'll, we'll see on everything else. But I hope you enjoyed this podcast. And stay tuned for the next episode. thing I'm going to talk about is my theory for Godzilla vs. Kong. Now, this has not been confirmed by any sources. There's only three confirmations, and you'll hear them here, and it really doesn't give any of the story away. We can all piece it together from what they tell us, but the way they're going to take it could be completely different. So, here is my prediction for Godzilla vs. Kong. There will be a clear winner, as the director has stated. So, my theory is Godzilla will win the fight with Kong. He has the bigger franchise, and he's been claimed, and he's been shown as a hero throughout the entire series of, God, you know, the Godzilla, the, the Monsterverse. Alright, Kong's been shown as a hero too, but protector of his own island. And in the movies, not many people will have read the books or the comics. You know, only the super fans will and will know the majority of the story. But not everyone will. So we'll know. And Kong, while he had popularity and the majority of the popularity, Godzilla's been a hero in this one. And he's a hero to many. So making sure that if they repeat King Kong versus Godzilla and Kong wins, that's kind of a slap in the face to many Godzilla fans. While it pays homage to the original film, I mean, lizards actually have, you know, reptiles have a, you know, specific advantage over mammals, especially primates. I mean, I can't watch an animal nature program about a crocodile without it, you know, without seeing a few monkeys or chimps, you know, get, you know, eaten by them. So my money is on Godzilla will win the fight. Kong won't die from it. But because of this, Godzilla will be weak enough that someone thinks that they can take him out and move in Mecha Godzilla. 
Now, it's not been confirmed whether the mechanical titan's in there. It's only been hinted. We could be looking at Mecha King Ghidorah, for all we know. We could be looking at Mechanicom. Hey, there's just... There's so many unknowns here. My money, I'm just banking on Mecha Godzilla. It just seems a logical choice because that could be a reason why they're fighting. Like a mecha mechanical version of Godzilla is attacking Skull Island and calling us to fight it. That means when the actual Godzilla shows up, he'll go after it because it looks similar, not realizing he's been tricked into fighting Godzilla. And from the pictures that they released, it looks like Kong's wearing an actual collar, so he may actually be forced to fight Godzilla. So who knows? Who actually knows on this one? Uh, but with Mechagodzilla showing up, going after Godzilla to finish him off, Kong will probably realize, hey, I've been tricked and go after the mechanical version. So with the mechan you know, with that one in play, Kong will save the day. Teaming up with Godzilla to destroy Mechagodzilla and then probably both go their separate ways. Kind of pulling the whole Batman versus Superman in a way, but with a clear winner. I mean, technically we know Batman won that fight, in a way. Batman won because he had Superman dead to rights. He would have killed him had uh, Lois not shown up. But then again, that what you know, they did Batman kind of... Sometimes I feel like they did Batman kind of poor when, you know, when we talk about the DC Universe. They're not bringing bringing it up so great however Kong versus Godzilla Godzilla versus Kong should be really good I really I just I cannot wait I I'm not really caring if we get a trailer at this point it's going to come out next year and it'll be arriving on HBO Max and in theaters I'm planning to see it on both so uh it is what it is. If we're not, if we only had those two snippets, then they're trying to hide the story as best they can, and really keep it a surprise. Or either that, or Warner Brothers is just trying to kill the film. They're trying to kill it before it even comes out, and it looks like they may succeed by killing the hype for it. Honestly, I don't know at this point. It's supposed to be the last of the Godzilla films they can make, but it looks like they're trying to ensure that that's what it is. So. It is what it is. Let's just hope that this movie is great and it'll be a nice send-off. Alright, next, stay tuned. I'll be mentioning my next video up next. Or not next video, sorry. Next topic up next, sorry. <laughs> Okay, so thank you for joining me for Kaiju 101, and let's keep everything safe out there. I know everyone's running around, you know, like a chicken with their head cut off because of the coronavirus and the vaccine and everything else. Just stay calm, everything will be fine. Alright, and join me for my next episode, which will be focused on the world's strongest Avenger, the strongest one there is, the Hulk. And be looking for my two mini-episodes. I want to do some short episodes between now and the end of the year. So, uh, 
definitely going to do that, but one episode will probably take place after I do The Hulk. So, yeah. Let's have some fun with this, guys. It's going to be a fun topic of conversation. So much history with this character. So much to talk about. And my short episodes will be fun and... Well, they won't all be battles like uh, like the last short episode we did. So, just stay tuned when we'll have some fun with it. Okay? See you all around. Have a pleasant day, evening, or night, depending on what time you listen to this. So I'm wishing you all luck and see you next time.